So today, I applaud China for stepping up. Excuse me, I applaud Canada. <laughs> I'm, you can tell what I'm thinking. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Michael Duncan. I got with me here John Ashbrook and Comfortably Smug. Good to be here. We're missing Holmes today. He is in the air traveling, uh, doing doing his good work out there in the field. Uh, but we're going to carry on without him. Yeah, well, we sure miss him. Well, we got a big show. Um, we've got a great guest, Montana AG, Austin Knutson. Uh, I do that interview here later in the show. He's talked about a lot of really interesting stuff. You know, I mean, with with a Biden administration, we saw this similar, you know, when Obama was president. But a lot of our AGs are really the first line of defense in fighting a lot of these regs out of the administration, everything on, you know, agriculture to things like TikTok. And he talks about all that. So definitely stick around for that. First, though, I want to get to a hack madness update here, Smug. Absolutely. So for... Our many listeners who've been following Hack Madness, that's our annual tradition now at this point, calling out the biggest liberal hacks in media. And folks, we're already at the Sweet 16. By the time you're hearing this, voting should be live for the Sweet 16. Again, the voting happens uh, on my Twitter page. I will pin it. That's comfortably smug on Twitter. Uh, Hopefully you've already been to hackmadness.org and filled out your brackets. There's, I mean, in this Sweet 16, it's, it's all powerhouses. This is probably the most stacked Sweet 16 I've seen. You look at some of these matchups. In the fake news division, you've got Don Lemon versus Anderson Cooper. You've got Bill Crystal versus Jim Acosta. In the establishment division, you've got David French versus Max Boot. You've got Rick Wilson versus Sherry Jacobus. Man. In the liberal activist division, you've got Jennifer Rubin versus Keith Olbermann. I think we can kind of guess how that one goes. we got Joey Behar versus Wajahat Ali, who was, I mean, for a 15 seed, he's been crushing mm-hmm. it. In the way to online, we've got one underscore Ben Collins. We've got Joy versus Joy and Reed, and we've got Molly Jong Fast versus Taylor Lorenz. If I had to bet, that's looking like a, a Ben Collins versus Taylor Lorenz matchup. But hey, it comes down to votes. It's going to be ha- the people decide, like they always do. Yeah, I, I'm most interested in the Rick Wilson versus Sherry Jacobus. Oh yeah, right. I think that'll be very, very interesting. And I mean, doing well for an 11 seed, and and then you know, French and Boot. That's going to be a great matchup, a battle of the titans of the Never Trump movement. Uh, again, 16 seed, 12 seed. We've seen a lot of upsets. I mean, similar to to March Madness, Hack Madness has seen a ton of upsets. Yeah, it's a great tournament this year. It is, and we've half a million votes already. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are amazing. You know, everyone keep voting because that's how we decide who the winner is. One person I have to highlight, Max Boot. I mean, he broke my bracket to all hell. I'd never expected Max Boot to keep rolling the way he is. We'll see if David French can stop him. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get to the meat of the program here, I also want to shout out a couple of things. Number one, did you guys see this tornado damage that was going on in the south? Yeah, it's horrific. Uh, In Mississippi, uh, just absolutely horrible. Like a tiny town there just basically ripped off the map. Mm-hmm. Um, just horrible, horrible stuff. And, and, and now, you know, the shooting in Nashville at this Christian elementary school, 
a couple of teachers killed, students killed, just terrible stuff that's out there. If you can help, uh, definitely do. A lot of people with their lives just completely upended and destroyed. Um, but to some good news, mm. fantastic news, uh, Biden's FAA nominee bows out after senators waiver. Huge, reporting, huge news. Reporting here in Politico, President Joe Biden's pick to lead the FAA, which drew his nomination on Saturday evening following nine months in limbo and amid concerns from senators in both parties over his background and relative lack of aviation experience. You would think that'd be a qualifier. You'd think. Well, you'd think. <laughs> and, and what Politico's not doing is handing out credit where it's due. Uh, Ted Cruz is the ranking member at the Senate Commerce Committee, and they really zeroed in on this guy and his inexperience. And they went so far as to say, look, if there's another Democrat, of course there's going to be a Democrat who's the nominee here but this guy has never been a pilot he's only been the the head of the denver airport for a very short period of time which is an absolute mess anyone who's been through that airport it's like a tent city with planes landing it's unbelievable the mess so someone who's in any way associated with that absolute horror show I mean, instantly should be taken out of the running. And and this committee, Senate Commerce Republicans, you really got we got to tip the cap to them because it, remember this is the same crew that brought down that liberal Gigi Stone. Yeah, uh, and they just worked overtime to make sure that this person wasn't ruining ruining the FAA. Uh, did you guys see the exchange that Washington had with Ted Budd from North Carolina? No. Let me play part of that. So, Mr. Washington, can you quickly tell me uh, what airspace requires an ADSB transponder? Not sure I can answer that question right now. That's, that's okay. We'll just keep going. So, um, that's a that's a pretty important part. So, what are the six types of special use airspace that protect this national security that appear on FAA charts? Uh, sorry, Senator, I cannot answer that question. Okay. So, what are the operational limitations of a pilot flying under? basic med. Senator, I'm not a pilot, so... Uh, but uh, obviously you'd ever see the F- Federal Aviation Administration, so so can you tell me what causes an aircraft to spin or to stall? Uh, again, Senator, I'm not a pilot. Um, okay, all right. Let's just keep going, see if we can um, um, get lucky here. So can you tell me what the minimum separation distance is for landing and departing airliners during the daytime, Mr. Washington? I don't want to guess on that, Senator. Are you familiar with the difference between Part 107 and Part 44809 when it comes to unmanned aerial standards? Do you know the difference there? No, I cannot. That's uh, okay. Pull that out. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, I remind everyone, this was the CEO of the Denver Airport. Yeah, his, his expertise is making sure the water cost $8, yeah. you know? I mean, <laughs> This would be like the CEO of McDonald's being asked, do you know what goes in a burger? And he'd be like, sir, I, I, don't, I don't cook the burgers. It's like, okay, do you know anything? Like, this guy is the CEO of an airport. Yeah, he, he doesn't know anything. zero idea about planes, about FAA regulations. It's unbelievable. And, and again, you know, hats off to Ted Cruz, who has been the tip of the spear on a lot of these nominations. Yeah, Bud. And, and shout out Ted Bud for just right. absolutely destroying him there. It's great. I mean, that was very painful to listen to, honestly. And it sort of reminded me of Senator Kennedy, what he's been doing to a lot of these judicial <laughs> nominees that Biden's been throwing up. People with just no experience or understanding of the Constitution, you know? I mean, uh, he, he does it with such style. Yeah. I mean, he has an approach that's just like he leads them right into a trap. <laughs> and just slits their throat. It's unbelievable the way he operates. 
uh related news we got we got an update you know on a previous show we had talked about julie sue mm-hmm. uh who was a, a nom a nominee to replace marty walsh as the head of the labor um department uh we got some news here some democrats remain unconvinced on biden's pick Uh-oh. for labor secretary cinema that's senator kirsten cinema uh, Cinema's defection from the Democratic Party and health-related absences in the Senate narrow Julie Sue's path to confirmation. NBC News reports. Oh no! <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think it's pretty clear what's going on here that the Biden administration is picking these far-left and unqualified nominees, and Democrats who are just months away from facing the voters in their own states are concerned about what it looks like when they support these far-left. Uh, nominees. Yeah, uh, more from the article here at M- NBC News uh, did not. Um, the the issue is this: the moderates here in the caucus, Mansion, Kelly, Tester, uh, and Cinema. The quote from uh, from Mansion uh, was, "Where is it?" Again, and, and also to even call these people the moderates. I think mm-hmm. that title, when it comes to the Dems, has lost all meaning. Here, here it is. Here it is. I had Marty Walsh, Manchin said, when asked about his vote for Sue as deputy. Because, I mean, that's what the media is doing. They're doing the job of the Biden administration. They're like, oh, well, you confirmed her as deputy. Why wouldn't you confirm her to the top job? Right. He goes, I had Marty Walsh, and I'm looking for a Marty Walsh. Mm. What you're seeing there, I think, if you read between the lines, is that you know, in the labor movement, you have these operators, right, that are sort of trusted by the moderate Democrats, not to get too crazy when it comes to some of these left wing policies. And then you have people that are more like activists within mm-hmm. the labor movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think uh, that's what they see her as. I mean, I think, you know, by and large, that's been the story with these Biden nominees. Like, mm-hmm. you remember, Count Chocula wanted to essentially uh, have complete government control of everyone's bank accounts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, they're essentially a bunch of these left-wing Trojan horses that the Biden administration has been trying to sneak in there. And like Ashbrook said, like, we've got an election coming up. These senators are like, uh, I'm not going to put my neck on the line right. for this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Senate election is not the only thing that's coming up. We have a chance to pick a new president mm-hmm. who will uh, ostensibly nominate people who are not so crazy uh, if we can replace Joe Biden. Donald Trump had a big rally over the weekend. Did you guys see that? He, he did in Waco, uh, Texas. Looked like a good crowd. Um, and he's you know, he's back on the trail drawing big crowds. You know, I mean, there was a while there post, you know, 2022 midterm where Trump was basically campaigning by truth on true social. Now he's, you know, he had that, um, he had his appearance out in East Palestine where, um, you know, he's delivering water and stuff like that. Great great opportunity for him to get out there and mix it up and now this yeah and DeSantis is out there uh, doing his thing too there was a New York Times story today about a big hire on the DeSantis super PAC this guy Matt Walking who is a friend of of a lot of our listeners and certainly a friend of the program and that was a big hire for DeSantis world because he had worked uh, previously at the RNC or for Trump I think he worked on the Trump campaign yeah Yeah. on the Trump campaign yeah and I mean, look, the war of words, uh, at least from Donald Trump, is not abating on that. In in the rally, he had gone through his, you know, his whole <laughs> oppo book on DeSantis. Uh, so it isn't going to stop anytime soon. That's for sure. No, that's, it, how, it, that's how it's got to be. You, right. to, you know, to be the man, you have to beat the man. It's going to be king of the hill, except in real life with Republican candidates. You got to fight for the for the right. top. If Ron DeSantis wants to win this race, 
He needs to go on national television. He needs to look every voter in the eye, and he needs to tell us exactly where Jimmy Hoffa is buried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where's this going? Oh, shit. <laughs> no, it's it's sort of interesting uh, in, in seeing some of the DeSantis remarks, Ashbrook, because you bring up like a good point here, is when he's responding to the, the the criticisms that Trump has leveled, it seems like he's almost trying to do a contrast ad without saying what he wa- he's plans to attack Donald Trump on. You know, he mentions Fauci. Fauci is somebody I would have fired, right? And in a way of criticizing Trump for the people that he hired in the West Wing or in the administration or whatever, he's like, you know, people who I hire are committed to my conservative vision you know, we don't have drama and infighting and that sort of thing. But he's not saying Trump hired bad people. He's not saying Trump should have fired Fauci. It's sort of a glancing blow. And I, I don't know if that's basically his strategies. He doesn't want to come out guns blazing. But I have to think if he does announce a campaign, he's going to have to rip that Band-Aid off. Like like Smug said, it's like if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not going to you're not going to change the minds of voters on a glancing blow where you do a slight contrast, if that makes sense, in my opinion. And if I had to guess, like, the Trump campaign strategy is this leading time while other candidates are, like, deciding, do I want to jump in? When do I want to jump in? This leading time where he, to, to a certain extent, has a lot of the field to himself is when he's hoping to just lock it up. You know, if he's the only one out there going city to city, having massive rallies, being super visible... I mean, that's that's every day that goes by. In my opinion, it's hurting DeSantis' chances. I think that's. I mean, yes, I th- I think you're you're right that that that's Trump's strategy. I I think also Trump's strategy is a full court press to try to get DeSantis to think maybe this isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that the Trump campaign strategy is let's make it as horrible as we possibly can for him just so he knows what he'd actually be getting himself into. I mean, that's not a bad idea. But it's not, I mean, you know. Well, it seems it, like he's getting some mainstream press cooperation on that front. Well, I well also, I think, like, like politics is simple. You know, you attack the thing you're most scared of. I think the, the greatest compliment for Ron DeSantis is the Trump campaign is spending every single day attacking him. And they're putting out polls about how much they are in the lead. They're not talking like a campaign who has it locked up. They're talking like a campaign that is worried that if he gets in, it's a serious challenge. I mean, that's pretty clear, I think. I I think it made a lot of sense when you say that this approach could be. I don't know if I don't know if they're going to be able to just clear the field in sense of like just get DeSantis not to run at all. Which is makes the whole situation even more frustrating is like, okay, if DeSantis is going to run, just run, dude. You know, I'm not convinced that he's going to be sitting this one out or that there is any way that no matter how terrible the Trump campaign makes it for him, that he's going to sit it out. So just jump in, dude. Get in there. I am eager. Start brawling. I am eager to see some of these themes like that Michael was talking about um, played out in, in real life. Two of them, I don't think that you mentioned one of them. One is generational change. Yeah. And the other is an ability to win. And they're driving those on Twitter. His friends and allies are driving those two, those two things on Twitter. And I haven't seen a lot of what I think is effective pushback from the Trump side 
on those two critiques. Well, I think uh, the reason why I'm excited for the primary to be a real thing is because I sincerely believe this is the most healthy thing for our party totally. possible. Yeah, I agree. 100%. You I agree. know, and I know there's a lot of folks out there who are like, "Oh man, don't fight." Don't, and I get and I get that, right? It's mm-hmm. like we want a nominee with a united front. And everybody worries, "Oh, if you're chipping away at each other, you know, you're hurting each other." Man, Clinton and Obama had the, a knockdown, dragout primary yeah, that went a, to the distance. Dude, they were talking about super delegates in a, in a, a brokered convention. You remember that? One hundred percent. And it turned out pretty good for them. And I just hope our listeners have that perspective to know that a primary can help our our whole family come together and work out their differences, so we are a united front. And, and that's next the thing year. is is if you have open, uh, you know, uh, primaries where you have. Republicans, primary voters going, making their voices heard, and everyone feels like they got a say right. in on the process. Then when we've got our nominee, everyone feels like, okay, right. I'm it's in better. On this. It's I've better than disenfranchising people with an, you know, basically anointing somebody the nominee. Totally. I mean, that was Clinton's whole problem. And that's why Bernie Sanders was so successful totally. in, in 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 ripping off support from her uh, in 2016. It's people don't like to feel like somebody's been push down their throat mm-hmm. and i mean it's the same way that everyone respected trump after the 2016 primary because he just went through it. the whole field he, he ran the gauntlet yeah and that's what it takes yeah it's gonna be fun um well guys we got some animal news yeah speaking of brawls speaking of brawls dad fights off aggressive monkeys in thailand after they lunge at family an australian father defended his young children from some aggressive monkeys eventually having to punch one of the critters as they lunged at his family and their belongings. <laughs> Yikes. This is this 100% correlates with my whole theory of like once a, a guy has kids, they get the dad reflexes. Yeah. Right? So like intercepting a monkey in the air with a punch, that's just dad reflex. 100%. Yeah, no. I mean, 100%. It's, it's sort of like uh, it's like when the mom lifts the car off the baby yeah. sort of like strength. You just like get that as a reaction. The adrenaline's there. But a punch, I mean... Landing in, it sounds like midair, while the monkey is lunging at the kid. Yeah, this this guy deserves some him. sort of a, an award. And, um, I mean, maybe the people for the ethical treatment of people um, should, <laughs> should come up with one and give him, the, give him the first one. But did you guys... I saw this video. Did you see what all the other people were doing? Nothing. In the background? They were just standing there serious? watching. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Everybody was just watching these monkeys swarm this guy. And like they didn't pick nobody picked up a rock. It's a beach for crying out loud. It's crawling with rocks. Nobody picked up a rock and threw it at the monkeys. I mean, come on. I mean, I'll tell you this. If How I'm about looking ever, out for your fellow man. If I'm ever somewhere and I see, you know, a fellow human is under attack by nature, you get in there. You do get in get there. In there. So this hero, uh, Riley Whitlam, uh, said, quote, it was hectic. It was actually quite scary. Could have scared him. Darwin for life. Um, I don't know His who Darwin's kid, kid, kid. Darwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here later in the article, to your point, Ashbrook, Whitlam criticized the onlookers for not trying at all to help, saying it was astonishing that they left him to have a punch up with a dozen monkeys. A dozen. A dozen. A dozen monkeys and nobody else did anything. I mean, Man. I just, I think it's people are paralyzed because they're like, oh, I'm going to be seen throwing rocks at monkeys on YouTube. And it's like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like people are paralyzed by I bet that's this is what elevation. Would is, is is you're going to end up on Twitter and people are going to be like, "Look at this guy just attacking these poor monkeys." Exactly. And you know what? We need to change that in our society. Yeah, we got to start looking out for, for our own humanity. Exactly. Is very clearly under attack. Like, and this is a known thing. Like we've discussed, 
Japan, all over the place. Right. The monkeys. I mean, Charlton Heston told us this would happen. Folks, it's not just the monkeys, though. We got the bacteria. The bacteria is coming for us, too. This is uh, from Study Finds. You know, McDaniel just loves studyfinds.org. It's a treasure trove. Flesh-eating bacteria spreading across East Coast could explode, is the headline. That doesn't sound good. Uh, The flesh-eating bacteria called Vibro vulnusficus. We're going to go with that. Uh, Is known to grow in warm, shallow coastal waters and can infect humans via cut or insect bite during contact with seawater these latest findings indicate that the number of whatever infections along the east coast of the united states a global hotspot for such infections has increased considerably in recent years from 10 to 80 annually over a 30-year period yikes i don't want a flesh-eating bacteria god i mean i i don't google this i googled it it is flesh-eating it does not look good why would you do many survivors have had limbs amputated Okay, oh. this sounds terrible. And this is separate than I'd heard in the news about this, like, uh, they're saying it was The Last of Us. Disease, oh, the fungus? That was, a, that was a fungus. Yeah. This is a separate thing. So, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it doesn't end. No. Nature is doing everything it can to destroy us. Well, did you read about the amoebas? Did you hear about this? This was uh, one of these counties in uh, in Florida, I think, uh, around the Naples, Punta Gorda area. Uh this guy, you know, was putting like water on his face or showering. I can't, or maybe actually, you know what? He was using a neti pot, I think ah. in his nose. I've heard about things are happening. Yeah. With an amoeba went into his brain and these things like legit, just like eat your brain. I've heard about oh. that happening with the neti pots. Oh. Yeah. Watch out there, folks. I think I got uh, a little scary news segment. Okay. So, uh, this is a somewhat frequently requested segment is, Smug talks about money uh, <laughs> in general, which is just like the economy and such. Uh, and I've, I mean, honestly, I'm pretty much giving myself an ulcer with how concerned I've been with the economy for the past couple of weeks. I know a lot of folks have been concerned seeing bank failures, interest rates skyrocketing, inflation seems to like not be subsiding no matter how much the Fed keeps pushing interest rates up. Uh, there was an article in Bloomberg that said bond traders go all in on U.S. recession bets that defy Fed view. So like the Federal Reserve under Jay Powell is, you know, I think they're continuing this theory that there can be a so-called soft landing of where they bring the economy to a steady state, tame inflation without causing, you know, massive uh, uh, recession, layoffs, etc. And they're pretty committed to it because they just raised rates, what, 25 Another, bips? Yeah, and when it was expected to be 0.75, which yeah. that in itself is somewhat worrying because, you know, Wall Street has had this kind of relationship with Jay Powell of, you know, who's calling the shots, where there was this famous moment in 2019 where Jay Powell tried raising interest rates, cutting off quantitative easing, and Wall Street just had a fit, stocks tanked, and uh, Jay Powell blinked. You know, he cut rates, and that, if uh, you know, set this precedent of, okay, folks are starting to see that maybe Wall Street can push this guy around. If yeah. It's, if, they're, if it's bad for stocks, you know, Jay Powell will do what we want. Um, this has essentially been just, you know, ever since uh, the previous bank crisis in 08, interest rates have been incredibly low. With that free money, a lot of companies have, rather than spending on, like, you know, capital expenditures, building factories or whatever, they've done stock buybacks because, you know, you can push your stock price up more if you buy shares of yourself if you're getting the money for free. So if, you know, you're borrowing money at 1% and your stock goes up by 10% with a buyback, it's a pretty easy decision of what you're (laughs) going to do there. Um, So the underlying situation we have right now in the economy with companies trying to deal with the new reality of high interest rates, 
of inflation not going down, of being extremely persistent. Uh, on top of, you know, uh, it was, it was, I believe it was New York University's business school had a, a really stellar research paper put out about the underlying assets that a lot of banks are holding uh, at an interest rate that is much lower than what the current interest rates are. So it's somewhat of a similar situation to what got Silicon Valley Bank to go under. The estimate is about $2 trillion worth of similar assets being held by banks across the country. So mm. uh, it's it's a, a, a really worrisome situation. Um, I would advise folks the same you know, approach. This is not financial advice. Me, myself, I'm just being extremely cautious. You know, I, uh, I, I would try to stay as liquid as possible. I think, you know, the Biden administration is extremely committed to trying to have everyone see, oh, it's rosy. Everything is just going fine. Sometimes banks just fail a few a weekend. Oh, don't worry about it. Um, they said, first of all, that, oh, inflation doesn't exist. Then they said it's, you know, oh, it's transitive. It's just going to pass. It's going to be super quick. We're seeing that sticking around. Uh, I would say just be extremely cautious with your money. We're seeing credit card balances have hit all-time highs, same time that interest rates are hitting all-time highs. Uh, I would say now is the time to be as careful as possible with your spending. Uh, so, yeah, that's a very, you know, doom and gloom Thanks segment. for all the good news, Smug. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there you go. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, well, we have some amazing AI news. Um, Levi's, this is the gene company. Levi's will supplement human models with AI-generated fakes. This, incredible. This is an incredible story. Levi's is partnering with an AI company on computer-generated fashion models to supplement human models. The company frames the moves as part of its digital transformation journey. <laughs> this is so there great. Oh, here it is. Quote, digital transformation, transformation journey of diversity, e- equity, inclusion, and sustainability. Oh. <laughs> sustainability. The, the sustainability, not of their models' jobs. So, so one of the models <laughs> is going to be like a solar panel with some jeans on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? Um, you guys ever go to a hotel and... They're like, oh, yeah. uh, help us stay green. Yeah, help us stay green. Yeah. You know, reuse your towels, reuse your towels. We're not going to bring you new towels unless you call downstairs and ask for more towels. Yeah, they're really, like, everything's re- going to be filthy unless you specifically ask. But it's because of the environment. It's from, yeah, it's right. not, You're not being lazy. It's right. not It's not saving me money on laundering all of all of these towels. Yeah. It's, I'm just, I'm doing it for the green movement. The green being the money in my pocket yeah, as the hotel owner. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. They're, they're super used to being like, oh, we don't have to provide any service. We can be super cheap but charge the same rate or higher. And like, oh, but it's because we want to be green, you know. <laughs> founded in, this is about the AI company, founded in 2019, the company's mission is to, quote, see more representation in the fashion industry and to, quote, create an inclusive, sustainable, <laughs> and diverse design chain. Yeah, get oh rid of humans goodness. to save the planet. Yeah. I mean, that's it right there. It's oh, perfect. It's, They're like, it's, it's more diversity and inclusion by excluding actual humans. Incredible. It's it's sort of like, do you remember, um, there was, back in the 70s, back when it was global cooling, there was also this movement against the population bomb. Remember? Oh, yeah. Like, the, the Earth's going to literally run out of resources unless we can reduce global population. Of course, then none of that happened, and we found a way to innovate out of it, and we've you know, made more rice yields in India and there are all sorts of technological advances allowed us to sustain growth on this planet. But this is sort of like that. Now they're finding the other side of it. It's like, well, we'll just make people poor and they'll die because they won't be able to have jobs totally. if we can replicate it with 
computers. Yeah, makes sense. And <laughs> it was uh, that reminded me of this clip that I saw, and I even tweeted it out of uh, John Kerry and Al Gore. The, I call oh, yeah. them what they are. It's it's the climate death cult. Right. Where their predictions would we've been dead years ago. Right. And they're never held to account. And it's like the way that we're all told, oh, you have to trust the science. Right. Because science is saying we're all going to be dead in a year if you don't do whatever every Democrat demands you do. And just hasn't happened yet, folks. Hasn't I know. happened yet. <laughs> uh, we got more AI news. I mean, McDaniel's just on a tear here with the AI stuff. This is actually pretty terrifying. Uh, <laughs> your next job interview could be judged by AI. This is from the Washington Post. Some employers are using AI to assess video interview candidates uh, do their own do on their own time without a human on the other side. Depending on the software, the AI can evaluate a candidate's communication skills, problem-solving skills, initiative, professionalism, and attitude. And ultimately, the AI screening could eliminate you before you even speak to a human. Here's how oh these, <laughs> these AI interviews typically work. Candidates are presented questions either in text or from a recording. Dude, this sounds like the phone tree you have to go through to be able to talk to a human whenever you ever have a problem with a company. You know what? I bet that's the next step, too. It's like already it's impossible to get a human on the line if you ever have a problem with anything, right? Think about how much worse it's going to get. This can be a nightmare. And this is supposed to begin a a wonderful working relationship with your colleagues. I mean, give me a break. I think we should dumbest thing I've ever heard. We should generate an AI that can, you know, do an interview in your stead. So then it's just a computer talking to a computer. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we're headed. Right. That's where we're headed. That's absolutely. Yep. You know that also reminds me of. Do you ever you ever um, see these uh, clips uh, on Instagram or something of like? a guy will have two phones and he'll call a Domino's and call a Pizza Hut at the same time and put them on speaker. Oh my God. So the two the two guys are talking to each other like, oh, this is Domino's. He's like, no, this is Pizza Hut. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great bit. It's a great bit. Um, okay. We got some uh, very interesting Midwest news. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is the mainstream media? Michigan-funded battery maker mandates allegiance to, quote, Constitution of the Communist Party of China company bylaws. This is say. insane. This is absolutely insane. This is from the Midwesterner. Corporate documents obtained exclusively by the Midwesterner reveal that the Chinese company, uh, the Michigan government, is funding with 100, or no. I'm sorry, 715 million taxpayer dollars is a key vehicle for the work of the Chinese Communist Party. Jesus. In July 2022, Goshen, the Chinese company purchasing 700 acres of property near Big Rapids, Good published job. a 94-page document titled Articles of Association, essentially the equivalent of an American company's bylaws. The document found on Goshen's website lays out the company's governance structure and allegiance to the Constitution of the Communist Party of China. It's kind of like the ESG of China, basically. That's it. This is insane. This is in Michigan? They're buying up property near Big Rapids? 700 700 acres. And $715 million from taxpayers. We pay for this. We pay for this. The taxpayers of America. It also says, uh, it also states the, 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 the company bylaws, the company shall set up a party organization and carry out party activities in accordance with the Constitution of the Communist Party of China. I mean, this, you look at this, you look at TikTok, 
It's unbelievable. The amount of, of, of Democrat senators who keep pushing the like solar panel thing and they say we have to cut domestic energy production, become completely reliant on, on solar panels. It's, it's already here. This is not like in the future we could become, you know, crippled by China. They've already got their claws here. The Chinese, it says right here, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, my conspiracy theory, you know, I'm sort of a conspiracy theorist on some stuff, but my conspiracy theorist when it comes to the death cult of the environmentalists, mm-hmm. smug, is that they know that. Mm-hmm. Like, they know that the Chinese would benefit from, the Chinese Communist Party would benefit from this. But they also look at global emissions and they say, well, if we really believe that we have to reduce CO2 emissions, the only way you're going to do that is in the developing world. Like the United States emissions going down, 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 down. Yeah. China's like two thirds of the world's emissions. Right. So the deal with the devil that they've made, and again, this is just sort of my conspiracy theory, is we destroy our own domestic energy. We give them billions of dollars by buying their batteries mm-hmm. or buy their solar panels mm-hmm. making them rich but their goal ultimately they believe is that they're going to save the planet by doing that even if they make us poorer and more dependent on the communist party of china they don't care because they think that's an end run around the problem of global emissions that's my theory honestly i don't think that's a conspiracy theory at all <laughs> i mean how is it different than what is happening right incredible and so, speaking of you know the insidious uh, Chinese Communist Party. We got to talk a little bit more about TikTok. Yes, we do have to talk about TikTok. So, I mean, unless you've been under a rock the last week or so, there's been a lot of you know uh, hearings on Capitol Hill about TikTok. Absolutely incredible uh, to see the bipartisan tomahawk dunks and alley oops yeah. uh, on TikTok and Bite Dance. Uh, But here, uh, news from Axios, Americans hooked on Chinese apps. The standoff between the U.S. government and TikTok underscores a growing problem for policymakers. Chinese apps are booming in America, but most U.S. apps aren't able to operate in China. Mobile apps are one of the most powerful vectors for expanding trade and exporting soft power, given how widely accessible they are, how much time is spent on them, and how little regulatory oversight there is online. Yikes. Yeah. And, and this is interesting. So there's a, a, a WAPO story. It says popular apps with Chinese ties can gather more data than TikTok. This, so the fact that, you know, you had the Washington Post, you had Axios, you had the New York Times all having coverage of like, hey, TikTok isn't the only spy app that you have. My conspiracy theory on this one is, you, you know, good job to TikTok's PR because they're clearly, I mean, it's obvious the Washington Post is 100% in the bag. You see, you think this is sort of a PR campaign to muddy the water? Yeah, being like, hey guys, we're not the only spy app. Yeah, no, 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 it's it's everybody, everybody's doing it. Here's here's one more data point in support of your theory. Brought to our attention by Brett Scherer of the Washington Free Beacon uh, on Monday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Taylor Lorenz is sending out emails to every Republican who asked a question at the TikTok hearing. And sent one to Kathy McMorris Rogers' office and is literally taking the side of TikTok. She's writing a story defending TikTok. Jeez. And she's pressing all of these all these congressmen and women who are just asking questions, wondering what this company has to say for itself under oath. Incredible. <sighs> Can you imagine that? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm not surprised it's Taylor Lorenz. Um, all right, one more article we have to get to here because McDaniel really wants us to talk about this. But the question is, should you just paint your grass green? Uh, the article here from the Wall Street Journal. Do your neighbors paint their lawns green? Increasingly, yes. 
What do we think about this, folks? This is super fascinating. So this is from an article that says, creating a green lawn has long been considered artistry and perhaps now more than ever. More people are turning to paint. In just moments, wilting yellow grass suddenly looks like it belongs on the fairways of St. Andrews. Painted lawns are becoming more popular as inflation-strained households try to save money. Drought complicates water usage, and severe storms have brought ice and freezing rains to swaths of the south, turning lawns a blob brown. I mean, my, yeah. My thinking, do, why, why not? This sounds excellent. Uh, Great well, idea. Well, no, no, I do not agree with you there, Smug, because a healthy lawn is a green lawn. A brown lawn is an unhealthy lawn. So what? You're just gonna you're gonna put a coat of paint on it, and suddenly the grass is gonna be good. I think, and, and this is from someone who always had to mow the lawn, take care of all the yard work growing up. As long as it's trim, looks neat. You're not, you know, if you've got weeds and long grass, of course you're gonna stick out like a sore thumb. You're a terrible neighbor. Don't do that. <laughs> as long as it's neat, trim, looks respectable, paint the hell out of it. Well, yeah, but a burned out lawn looks thin. It's like a, a you know guy with thinning hair up top. It's not going to look right. You can't just paint it. You remember those old, you know, back in the like 80s and 90s uh, when people were trying to phase out like toupees and hair pieces. But before Rogaine, yeah, yeah, people the spray. would like spray paint. They would basically just spray foam your hair. And it was like, oh, now your hair's thick. That's not how it works. I think that that's like looking at the trees from the forest. I think if you see just a big green mass, you know, how rarely is it that, well, I don't know, it depends on your homeowner's association are folks like literally in the weeds on your lawn looking at it being like okay this looks patchy and painted folks if you just see like a a, a trim green mask okay job's done and like they said it's an inflation buster americans are having you know instead of having to either pay or do it yourself and hell the price of gas even if it's for a lawnmower just paint the damn thing. I support. I'm on team paint. On what this do you one. what do you do when the dog tracks green paw prints into the house? I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, why is the dog inside? Yeah. Why? I mean, Ashbrook, <laughs> you're supposed to be our anti-animal guy. You're letting the dog inside. I'm just wondering. It just seems like there's there's probably a downside to having green paint on the ground outside. When the dog goes out, he's going to step on the green paint. He's going to walk it back into the house. Yeah. Also, there goes there goes your inflation buster. What is uh, cleaning up green paint? You don't have to pay for a dog anymore. What is <laughs> what is the EPA going to say about all this paint on your lawn? You know, like how's that going to work? Wait, uh, are you so smug? Are you suggesting you take the dog down to the vet's office if it walks on the lawn? Listen, if it's a bad dog, if 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 you have (laughs) a a tool or anything in your house that isn't working, you get rid of it. The vet just looks at you and says, "What's wrong with this dog, sir?" And you say, "Why, vet? Just look at its paws." Bad dog. Here's the cash. What is it? Two hundred bucks. (laughs) Bad dog. (laughs) Tell the kids you went upstate to the farm. Bad dog. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, oh, on, on that note, oh. on that note, uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's get to this interview. Uh, Montana AG Austin Knutson. I want to welcome to the program the Attorney General of the great state of Montana, Austin Knutson. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, obviously, with Joe Biden in the White House. Um, a lot of the action is with folks like you pushing back on this administration. Um, I wanted to start first with WOTUS, uh, Waters of the United States, because I feel like it's an issue that a lot of folks, you know, don't understand. Uh, and it has such a huge, huge impact on states like yours. So can you can you walk us through that? Yeah, well, WOTUS is a huge issue for Montana. It's a huge issue for a lot of the Western states. It's a huge issue for ag states. 
but frankly, this is one that everybody should be worried about. WOTUS stands for Waters of the U.S., and this goes back to the Obama era. Um, prior to that, generally speaking, the federal government had very little to do with actual water regulation in the respective states. The federal government had some authority under the Interstate Commerce Clause of the Constitution to regulate navigable waterways. Because, you know, going back to the, the, the Louisiana Purchase, that's how we traveled in the U.S. We traveled via the river system. We didn't have highways. We didn't have roads. And that's how you got around the various territories and states. So we, we, we've continued that into the current day. What President Obama did with his WOTUS rule, uh, which was done away with by President Trump through an actual formal rulemaking, but now the Biden administration has brought it back. It's a huge power grab. I mean, basically what the Biden administration has done here is it's it's the Obama rule on steroids. It, it's it's sweeping, it's breathtaking, but they're trying to grab authority over all water in the country. Yeah, down to like a drainage ditch. <laughs> down to a drainage, I mean, down to a puddle. Yeah. Down to a stock dam you might have out in a cattle pasture. Uh, down to a, a, a seasonal pond that might show up after a heavy rainstorm in a place that would normally not have that pond. This is breathtaking because states have this apparatus. We've, we've been regulating our own water for literally hundreds of years in this country. I mean, the state of Montana, the, the joke is whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting over. We've got <laughs> probably some of the most robust water laws. We've got a separate water court. We've got a very well-developed jurisprudence on water and state 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 regulatory apparatus to regulate our own water. Uh, we don't need the feds in Montana telling us how to regulate our drainage ditches in our yard. And, and what's concerning about this is, I mean, if you think it's difficult to develop some land right now, you think it's difficult to put in a subdivision in Helena, Montana, now, uh, you know, dealing with our state regulatory system, imagine if we put the EPA in charge of this. Imagine if you're a, a, a developer, you're a farmer, and you want to put in an irrigation canal to a new field. You're now no longer dealing with your state regulatory agency. You got to deal with some bureaucrat behind a desk at the EPA in Washington, D.C., this is a horrible idea. It's very, very concerning to Montana farmers, Montana ranchers, frankly, to everybody in Montana, because we're experiencing such unprecedented growth here. We need some development yeah. and nobody wants to deal with the EPA. So, yeah, we're, we're pushing back hard on this one. We've got our governor uh, involved. We've got a lawsuit going with a lot of our sister states, uh, and we've asked for a federal judge to step in here and, and uh, issue a preliminary injunction. Wow. That's awesome. It's awesome. But I know, you know, there's a whole host of issues, you know, the Biden administration, uh, they like their regulations. Uh, and, and the one, the one, um, recently that, that came out was this, this anti-gun reg that I know you've been working on as well. Can you explain a, a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, this is one that's pretty near and dear to me. I'm a, I, I'm a big shooter. Um, that's, I, I'm, I'm not the guy that on the campaign trail who's wearing a, brand new fresh out of the package orange vest with a <laughs> shotgun in a field that somebody handed me five minutes ago. I mean, I, I, I'm a shooter. I'm a hunter. I'm a reloader. Uh, I'm a competitive shooter. I'm a collector. 
this is what I do for a, for, for a hobby. Um, you know, some guys watch football on Sunday. I'm usually out in my reloading bench working on something, but this is one that's very, very concerning. And, and it is, it's concerning to a lot of gun owners in America. You've had the, the Biden administration basically try to end run Congress. I mean, there's, that's just what we're talking about here. Joe Biden knows he doesn't have the support of the U.S. Congress, obviously, now that it's, it's in Republican hands. But he doesn't have the support of a lot of his own caucus members in the U.S. Senate. And so he knows he can't pass this liberal panacea gun control that he and his left coast buddies would like to see. So what are they doing? Well, they're doing the same thing they're doing with the EPA, same thing they're doing with a lot of their other agencies. They're trying to implement law and change law through the ATF. So since he's taken over, we've seen a couple of these now. We've seen the ATF come in with these big, broad, new sweeping changes to federal code, federal rule, excuse me, and and put in place large scale changes that really should come from Congress. Uh, the probably the best example is, is the pistol brace rule. Pistol braces have been around for you know the better part of a decade. What they're they're made made to it to help injured people handle and fire certain types of pistols. And so what this does is it, it it wraps around your arm and stabilizes, and that's exactly what they are. They're a stabilizing brace. We've had rule in place from ATF for the better part of 10 years, assuring everyone that, no, these are legal to own. These are just a piece of plastic. They do not somehow make this into, into a short-barreled rifle because a short-barreled rifle is regulated under federal law. And so if the ATF determines something is a short-barreled rifle, you now have to register it. You have to fill out a Form 3 and you have to pay for a tax stamp. We've been assured by the ATF for a decade that that is not going to happen if you own a pistol brace because there is an estimated between 10 and 40 million of these out in circulation right now. Well, the Biden administration came in and they did a complete about face on that. They ruled via an ATF ruling that these pistol braces now turn your legal pistol into a short barreled rifle by the virtue of being a piece of plastic on, on the, on the end of your pistol, uh, that's now a short barreled rifle. You have to register it. You have to pay the tax stamp. You have to fill out your form three. You have to give your information to the ATF. You have until this date to do it. And if you don't, you're a felon. Wow. That's stunning. Uh, that's very, very alarming to gun owners. Uh, I've, I've, I'm, I get inundated with phone calls, with emails, with people grabbing me out as I'm traveling around. What's going on with this? Are we going to be able to get this stopped? This is crazy. Uh, so, I mean, this one was a no-brainer for me. We got with, uh, I, again, uh, several of my sister states, my, my fellow attorneys general, and we filed suit. And we're asking for a preliminary injunction. I, I think we're in really good ground here. This is such a sweeping rule. This has got to come from Congress. I mean, th this this is a whole scale change of law that this administration is trying to do via the administrative state. Flagrantly unconstitutional, flagrantly illegal. If something like that's going to come, it's got to come from the Congress. Absolutely. This is Civics 101. Yeah. So uh, you're a competitive shooter. I didn't know that. Well, I, I dabble. Yeah. What's your go-to? Are you yeah, ski? Are you pistols? Are you? Uh, well, a, a little bit of everything, but I'd say right now, if you if you if you made me pick, I'd say three gun. 
I, I shoot some wow. three guns with that's wow. just what it sounds like. It's a pistol, it's a rifle, yeah. and it's a shotgun. And wow. a lot of running. Oh, yeah. A lot of action. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Wow. Um, well, you, you sort of you, you touched on the administrative state here when it comes to these regs on on guns, but that's not the only thing we're seeing here. Um on on the Second Amendment, you also have these big banks um that are discriminating against gun purchases and things like that and i i think this is the most fascinating development in you know the last four six years in that um you know things that haven't gone through congress or or can't get regulated through the administrative state you're now seeing you know sort of this woke pressure from liberal politicians on institutions outside of their purview um, you know, you see it with things like ESG, uh, but now also with the banks and 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 guns. Can you ex- explain a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it it is ESG, and it's it's just an extension of it. And what what's fascinating about this discussion, and I, I was having this discussion with a few of my colleagues a couple of weeks ago. I it's pretty amazing. You know, when I took office two years ago, I didn't even know what ESG stood for. I had no idea what what that term even meant, and I think most of us didn't. We're talking about environmental social governance. It's it's this new woke social movement, but it's exactly what you said. And, and it comes back to what I was just talking about with the ATF. It's it's this administration and the liberals not being able to get what they want done in Congress and in the Senate. So what do they do? They run to their buddies in big business. They put political pressure on them and they try to get big business to do their, their woke dealings for them. And we've certainly seen it huge uptick uh, in, in the firearms industry, in, in, in the gun industry, the ammunition manufacturing industry, anything related to the Second Amendment uh, in, in that industry, they're really going through a difficult time right now. And it's not legal. Uh, I mean, it's it's all coming from, it's coming from banking, it's coming from finance, it's coming from insurance. Uh, I I can't believe the number of phone calls that I personally have gotten from business owners here in Montana who tell me, hey, you know, we're trying to expand. I, I, I need to hire people, but I can't get financing from my bank. You know, we're a solid business. Our books are awesome. We're doing more business than we ever had. We don't know what changed. You know, there's an example. I've had multiple, multiple businesses here in Montana tell me that their insurance got canceled. This is just their property casualty insurance on a brick and mortar building that they've never had trouble with before. But now suddenly they're seen as a liability risk. Um, and, and a couple of these companies have even been bold enough to tell them, hey, it's because you're you're in the firearms industry. It's because you sell guns. Wow. This is insane. Yeah. You would think the banks hadn't have enough problems going on right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, c- credit card transaction processing, you know, de- debit transacts t- transactions. It just goes on and on and on. And it really is an attempt by this administration to pressure these businesses into dying a death of a thousand cuts here. I mean, if you're, if you're a brick and mortar gun shop located in, in, in Corvallis, Montana, it's probably hard enough for you right now to keep your doors open between your overhead, your insurance, your power bill, inventory. You know, you start adding in all this number one government interference, but now you're going to have trouble with your bank. Now you're going to have trouble with your insurance carrier. Oh, by the way, now we're no longer going to process credit card transactions because you sell a product that we think is dirty and yucky. This is insanity. It's not legal. Uh, it's coming completely from outside external forces. 
and and you, and you follow that string and it leads you to a handful of really liberal democrat senators sitting in washington dc and this administration and that that really is what it comes down to so I've pushed back hard on this one. Uh, it's not just me. I mean, and I, I, I don't, I don't mean to make this just about me. A lot of my colleagues within the Republican Attorneys General group, uh, they're we're, we're very keyed into these the, these issues. I, I think it's kind of new because a lot of them didn't realize it was going on so hard in the in the firearms industry. We've certainly seen ESG when we're talking about energy, oil, coal. I mean, I think everyone's pretty familiar with what's going on there, but it really is happening at, I think, even maybe a little bigger scale in the firearms world in, in that industry. I mean, there there is a real war on that industry, which I find just absolutely insane because we're talking about probably the most regulated industry in America. Right. Who's got more rules, regulations, and federal oversight than firearms and firearms manufacturers? And the answer is probably nobody. Uh, so the, the the fact that we're just piling on here in, in an attempt to put these guys out of business is really, really concerning. Man. Yeah, no, you said it. Um, so one issue that's you know percolating, obviously, in Washington, D.C. right now is this issue of TikTok. Um, and there have been hearings on Capitol Hill um you know been banned from government devices uh, they're looking now to, to to straight up just ban TikTok, um you know from the united states but i know you've been working on this at the state level as well yeah well i'm i'm happy to say that we we kind of started this uh we we had the first ban TikTok bill in the country uh it's moving through our system right now so our our legislature is in session right now we actually introduced this bill a couple of months ago it's made it all the way through our state house representatives. It's now over in our states. Excuse me. I got that backwards. It started in our state Senate, made it through the state Senate, voted across. It's now in our state house's hands. Uh, and that bill hearing will actually uh, be be today. Um, so, yeah, we've got a bill to just full out ban it here in Montana. Uh, look, we've done our homework here. And, and I think people are seeing it with what they've seen in Capitol Hill in the last week absolutely stunning but also really revealing i think for a lot of rank and file americans tiktok is a spying application used by the chinese communist party period that's it <laughs> they, they they can try to rebrand themselves which they're desperately trying to do right now they're trying to you know tell people oh you're you're depriving americans of their joy no we're trying to stop the communist chinese party from spying on us Right, because that's what they're using TikTok for, and and they're barely even hiding it anymore. I mean, you, when, you, when you look in their privacy settings, the 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 amount of information that they are gathering from Americans is absolutely stunning. They're gathering your facial recognition. They're gathering biometric data about you. They're gathering personal data about you. They're gathering intelligence from the photos and videos that you're posting on TikTok and the background behind you for any sensitive information that might be useful to the Chinese government. This is a government that has openly stated they are hostile to the United States. It's in all their military doctrine. They believe a war with the United States is inevitable. They believe in asymmetric warfare. About a month ago, they floated a balloon across our state, across our entire country, but specifically here in Montana, 
and they steered it right over our nuclear missile base to get a look at our infrastructure and all of our silos. This is not a friendly country. <laughs> right, right, right. This is not somebody that we want having eyes and ears into the homes of every American in the country. Uh, well, this, it's, it's, it's like you said with the asymmetrical warfare, it's asymmetrical informational warfare as well, because look, we we will roll out the red carpet for anybody who wants to do business in America. And, you know, I think by and large, we probably should. But you can't use Facebook over in China. You can't use Twitter unless you have a VPN and you can sort of mask where you're, you know, you're coming from your IP. You can't use Twitter over in China. They don't want an open world. They're a closed society, but they will siphon up all of our data for their benefit. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think it's an important point that the version of TikTok that our kids get here in America isn't the version of TikTok that they get in China. Right. They don't let their children see pornographic videos. They don't let their children see the videos encouraging drug abuse encouraging suicidal tendencies, encouraging dangerous challenges. Uh, that This is nothing more than the Chinese party trying, the Chinese Communist Party, trying to undermine our country. And right. it goes back to asymmetric warfare. They know they can't beat us on the conventional battlefield right now. So what are they doing? And again, this is in their military doctrines. If you do a little homework, this is public information that's out there. They believe that they they should destabilize our country. And one of the best ways they've got to do that is to try to come after our young people and, and our our social fabric here in America. And they're doing it via TikTok. I mean, this is just not long division. <laughs> right, 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 right. And uh, sad to say, it seems like it's kind of working a little bit, you know? <laughs> I think it absolutely is. But man, these, these hearings in Washington, D.C. last week, I mean, they were just delightful yeah. to watch. Uh, when you've got bipartisan members of Congress just grilling the CEO of TikTok and, and to watch him squirm and obfuscate and not answer questions directly, uh, I I find it absolutely delightful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really something to see, especially when he was trying to create the distance between him here in the United States um, and the you know the Chinese Communist Party, uh, who's really running the whole show, like right. <laughs> you know, like this little scintilla of difference between what he does here and what they do there in Beijing. It's, it's well, just, then and and they're going to firewall. Don't worry. Yeah, they're, right. They're firewall. Right. Yeah. Right. No, if you're in China, you're doing business in China. You are going to give your data to the Chinese Communist Party. Period. Uh, that's yeah. that's in their that's in their their country's law. Yeah. So seems so simple. Seems so simple. <laughs> All right, so uh, we end all of our interviews here on Ruthless with three questions. You probably heard them heard them before. The first one always is, if you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? This is an easy one for me. Ribeye steak at the Windsor Bar, Boulder, Montana. Medium rare. The steaks are as big as a dinner plate. They're <laughs> about an inch and a half thick. Uh, best steak in Montana. Okay. I'm not talking about a steakhouse. This is this is a bar in a little podunk town in Montana, but it's my absolute favorite place in the world. Giant baked potato, two slathered buttery pieces of Texas toast. That's it. I'm good. Wow. Cold cold Coors Light. We're good. <laughs> I appreciate it. it's your last meal. You're not even going to put a, a vegetable in there other than the baked ah. potato. You know, no greens. 
No. How, how do you like the baked potato? Fully loaded? Are we talking just butter, maybe sour cream, bacon bits? What are we going with there? I, you know, I like a loaded baked potato. Yeah, it yeah. works. It works. All right. I appreciate it. Question two. If you weren't doing this, if you weren't involved uh, in politics and, and serving as attorney general, what would you be doing with your life? You know, I would probably be trying to do something in the firearms world. I would, uh, if we're talking fantasy land, I would probably be trying to be a professional shooter, try, try to be get paid for pulling triggers. Um, that's very difficult to do. I, I know a few guys on the, on the professional competition circuit that manage it. I'd like to try that. Uh, but I mean, I'd, I'd probably be, be a gunsmith, something, something along those lines. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Final question, uh, and I'm going to have to explain this a little bit, but, you know, basically it's our belief people are motivated by one of two things, um, you know, to be successful. You either are a thrill of victory person or agony of defeat person. A thrill of victory person is an optimist, glass half full, um, you know, success and being, you know, an, a, an optimist sort of motivates you to succeed into the future. An agony of defeat person is motivated by, you know, any failure, perceived failure or slight that they've had in their life. Um, and, you know, the fear of ever failing is what motivates them to succeed. So on that spectrum, where do you find yourself? That's such a great question. Um, I think definitely agony of defeat. You know, I've been involved not so much in the statewide politics, but I mean, I, I was a, I was a state legislator. I was the speaker of the house for a couple sessions that's a tough job uh, in, in 2015, 2015, my first session as a speaker of the house, I mean, I got my teeth kicked in and you definitely learn from that agony of defeat. I mean, that there, there's no better teacher than failure. I, I think you have to fail. You, if, if you're not, if you're not failing, that means you haven't swung for the fences hard enough. Right. Uh, I, I, I think that has to be part of anybody's learning process. So I think definitely agony of defeat that that's that, anybody who's involved in politics and, and, and moving conservative policy forward. I think if they're telling you that they're, they're just living on victory after victory, after victory, uh, they're lying to you. I mean, we're, this, this is hard. We're, we're under attack constantly and it, it almost feels biblical. Um, so I, I think definitely agony of defeat you know, with, with some shining moments here and there, but, um, you, you have to be driven, I think by, by the failures of your past. That's yeah. a great, great, great answer. And even better explanation. <laughs> well, I really baffling line it. of BS. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for doing it. I mean, you Montana folks, we had, we had, uh, Senator Danes on here recently as well. I feel like we're getting a full court press, from Montana, we're going to have to get out there at some point. You know, you guys make it sound so great. It's starting to get springtime up here. The snow's about gone, although we are still skiing. That's good. The, the skiing's been great. We've had a couple of really good snowstorms here this last couple of weeks. But yeah, the weather's starting to turn. Sun's shining. Uh, we have some beautiful summers up here. You can come come see what the Duttons and, and Kevin Costner thinks about it. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds fantastic. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Man, he's a pretty good interview, and um, I got to tell you, just one more reason why we need to go to Montana, fellas. Hundred percent. That's my takeaway. Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy clearly knows what he's talking about when it comes to Montana. Um, you know, these AGs are our front line against the Biden administration. 100%. Great to have him on, guys. I think it was a hell of a show. 
I gotta say so. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners. Keep voting Hack Madness. By the time you hear this, the Sweet 16 is underway. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.